1: just before you listen to today's episode this is a quick message to remind you that if you like what you hear you can help support history hack which is run entirely by volunteers using our patreon account there are links on all of our episodes or if a subscription is not your thing you can also now drop us a line on Kofi, which is just the equivalent of buying us a drink so if you hear an episode you like it and you want to chip in just once then you can do that too thank you
2: Hello and welcome to another installment of History Hack. It's Lockie in the house uh, today, and we are talking about, I was uh, going to say defying gravity, but that's a song from a show, isn't it? Escaping gravity, uh, more correctly. We have done boaty stuff recently, and now we are on to floaty stuff. There is a distinctly Bedfordshire feel to our discussion today, me accepted. Uh, Certainly my co-host, Chris. Uh, is up there and so is what we're talking about. How you doing Chris?
3: Yeah I'm good thank you. How are you?
2: All right yeah hanging in there. Good good.
3: What have we got? Charlotte and I moved up to Bedford seven years ago and um, quickly tapped into the rich history of Bedford itself and when you come into the town you cannot miss the Cardington Sheds. So today we are here to talk about the R101 and the Higgins Museum So, in October 2021 marks the 90th anniversary of the last voyage of the R101 airship, which left Cardington on the 4th of October 1930 and crashed, killing nearly all its 54 passengers, with only seven survivors. To commemorate the anniversary and to celebrate Bedford's role in airship innovation, Bedford Creative Arts recently unveiled its first element of its ambitious Airship Dreams project. Four years in the making, airship dreams escaping gravity has brought its installation to Bedford. Today, we are joined by Lydia Saul, keeper of social history at the Higgins Bedford, and Mike Stubbs, the award-winning lead artist behind the ambitious project. Hello, Lydia, Mike. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good. Thank you. So we mentioned Bedford's proud tradition of airship innovation in our intro. Its tradition is kept alive recent in recent years by the Airlander ten. Could you tell us and the listeners a bit about the history? and what it is about Bedford that made it the home of the airship.
1: I think uh, it's quite an interesting place to start because um, a lot of people don't know that Bedford is... Um, inextricably linked with the airships um, and the, the airships at Cardington. Uh, they actually started during the First World War to try and combat the German Zeppelins that were coming and bombing England. And it was the Admiralty commissioned the Short Brothers, who were based down at Rochester at the time, to come up to Bedford and to build uh, the sheds and airships R-31 and R-32 here here at Cardington and they also built a village called Shortstown to house their workers Um, and the reasons for Bedford was that it was flat there was space and the uh, zeppelins couldn't quite get here as far as this far north (laughs) at the time so we were relatively safe from being bombed Uh, unfortunately they actually only finished the airships two weeks before the end of the first world war it took such a long time to build the sheds and build the airships but in the 1920s there was a new type of scheme the imperial airship scheme and these airships started being looked at for commercial luxury travel uh, along with some military side issue things they were doing as well but the the real um crux of it was that the air minister lord thompson was really keen to get to a, a imperial conference uh, in india and so the r101 was built um, and was then commissioned to fly to india Um, and as you mentioned, sadly, didn't make its destination. Um, I don't know, Mike, did you want to come in here and just talk about your interest in the airships at Cardington?
4: You know, my first experiences of lighter-than-air vehicles was as a uh, young boy in Bedford, not far from Brickhill, where you are, Chris. Um, I was sort of between Brickhill and Putno. So it was uh, not unusual to see barrage balloons on the horizon as as a child. And then a little bit later, we would, of course, witness the slow drone of the Goodyear blimp. Um, and we'd kind of maybe run out in the garden and have a look at that. That was the experience for many people in Bedford in the wow. late 70s and the 1980s. So quite a, quite a rare experience, maybe, in terms of uh, the rest of the country. Um, and then, of course, as you so rightly say at the beginning, the the the, the sheds themselves were vast and they loom on the horizon and... They were a place of mystery because not many people got inside them. Um, but we also know that they, apart from housing and, and um, having airships constructed within them, they were the home to many activities which were quite diverse, ranging from um, anti-riot training with the police, parachute training with the Royal Air Force. Um, numerous pot bands did practices there, including wet, wet, wet um, They did setting fire to buildings inside it and then putting them out again with the fire service. Um, So it's it's quite a rich sort of cultural history within those sheds. Fantastic. Um,
2: That's really, really interesting. We'll talk about the um, exhibition in a bit bit more detail in just a sec. But for the uninitiated on the R one hundred and one, because I I think maybe kind of through little bits of documentary and things, there's maybe like a diffusive knowledge of the R one hundred and one without a a lot of its kind of specifics and kind of what happened to it, uh, crucially as well. Um, So let's let's talk about that for a second. What's what are the kind of one of
4: one of the key things would be that whereas the Hindenburg was documented on film. And it had a film crew on board and its disaster was documented uh, visually. The Arno one basically, when it crashed into the cliff on the, the coast of France, kind of was not evidenced. Like there are photographs of the aftermath of the sort of skeleton of its frame embedded in the ground. Um, but the crash itself was it's sort of invisible in terms of visual history. Um, so that that's partially why it doesn't really figure within um history making, maybe.
1: I think we were trying when we first started the project, we did a a, a little introductory video about the R101. But for anybody who hasn't heard of the R101, um, it is R for rigid airship, and it was really important to um uh the the kind of the Admiralty Um, the reason why the Cardlington Sheds are called Sheds is because it was through the Admiralty and not through the Royal Air Force so they're not called hangars, although some people do call them hangars these days, but they are actually known as Sheds because they were effectively flying flying ships Um, and so they had a a shed to house the ship Um, and so uh, that's why they're called the Sheds Um, the R101 was the largest airship to ever be built in the UK, it ended up being it was extended so eventually it was 700 177 feet long, which was about three and a half football pitches long, and it so it would have been dominated the landscape as it as it took off. and 1929, they completed the airship, and it started doing some trial flights. They had some problems with lift, so they added another gas bag. Now, the inside the rigid structure there are gas bags and those gas bags were filled with hydrogen gas, which we could ma- manually man- manufacture. There was a big hydrogen plant at Cardington um, and this was lighter than air. So it was in, it gave it gave it a lot of um, lift and then it was fueled by um, sort of diesel engines and that would power it forward. And then it also had water ballast. So they drop water ballast in order to get some extra height where they needed it. So getting that balance right between the amount of lift and the weight of the ship and the amount of fuel you had was quite an interesting conundrum at the time, uh, and is some of the issue about what happened to it. Um, Lord Thompson was involved, and um, as I say, there was this big diplomatic conference uh, really important uh, nationally and internationally, and this was going to be they were they were so much quicker than ships on the sea um, you know the ships on the sea would take um, months potentially to get to India um, three weeks was how long the airship would take to get there um, they were really quick um, compared to any other aircraft at the time so um, this was really important and they were they could be quite luxurious um, as well so Lord Thompson wanted to bring well, do you want to explain this, Mike? The reason the things that you found inspiring about this particular story that have influenced some aspects of your artwork? Carry
4: not on, then. was the
2: minister of the day, wasn't he? Just to, just to be. Was he Sorry, Andy. Was, the, was he the one who was the air, Minis- in air minister of the time? Yeah,
1: Lord Thompson was the air minister at the time. Sorry, I should, okay. have, should have said that. Uh, okay, Lord nice. Thompson was the air minister at the time, and he was um, a real driving force between behind um, the airship going on that particular journey at that particular moment in time. So it was scheduled to leave um, Bedford on the 4th of October and um, then to arrive, um, and he wanted to take gifts for the, uh, the, the diplomatic conference and so he took a um, uh, two very large rugs, one of which he wanted to be laid in the the, the lounge of the R101 and the, uh, the other was to, to be as a gift. Um, but, of course, they were really heavy. So the, the poor crew were there taking biscuits out of biscuit tins, we've heard, um, in order to try and reduce the amount of weight uh, in order to get that balance right that we were talking about. And also, the other thing that happened, into that evening was the weather was not as good as they would have liked. Um, airships really do like. Not too windy, not much rain, really nice, calm weather. Um, and so, um, unfortunately, as the airship left on the 6, six o'clock um, in the evening at the, uh, on the 4th of October, some rain came in across as it was crossing the channel. Um, it was pretty heavily laden with all the things that were on board and all the people that were on board. 54 people were on board. And unfortunately, yes, did crash, crash into a hillside in Beauvais in France. Um, just after coming up to two o'clock in the morning uh, and quite suddenly they just lost quite a lot of lift and unfortunately the because the engines were pushed up into the body of the airship the people were inside the body of the airship in the accommodation um, it caught a light and everyone pretty much died unless they were very fortunate and had water ballast fall on them which kept them from catching up fire basically so unfortunately the whole ship um all we had was the metal girders um on the on the hillside um and a few people were rushed um to uh, the town hall at Beauvais uh, and given us some medical attention um and so actually there were eight people initially survived but then only six of those eight people actually uh, entirely survived and um, two people passed away afterwards so it was a very it's disastrous I mean there was many people on board both staff crew and some VIPs and um, like Lord Thompson that that were killed um outright and so they decided they better not fly any more airships after that point in time because it had been such a disaster and of course a lot of the very skilled engineers and designers were also on board so it was a real tragedy for everyone
3: wow that's fascinating such such history there so so based on that um that um, information you've given us. And um, how does this lead on to Airship Dreams Escaping Gravity at the William Harper Gallery, which was um, set up by Mike?
4: Um, well, in 2000, uh, I made an art, an art exhibition in Bedford about car culture and car racing. So as a young man, um, I spent a, far too much unhealthy attention on cars and bikes. Um, and, of course, that raises a question about gender and identity. But as a contemporary artist who's, you know, done work and made work and shown it all around the world, uh, that was the first time I'd made work in Bedford, my, my hometown. Um, and then later on, working with Bedford Creative Arts, I was invited sort of 15 years later to propose uh, a new project for Bedford. And I started a conversation um, with Annie Bacon, who then worked at BCA, and then with Lydia, um, about a project which would sort of expose this sort of sort of fascination, really, with airships, um, and in a sense, the story of the Airwonderland, specifically, um, because for me, it's full of metaphor and symbolism. Um, it's an emblem, in, in a sense, of hubris. Um, itself as a device, it's a, both a conceptual surface to project ideas onto, um, and then, in a sense, it's a sort of utopian, futuristic version um, that people could aspire to, and that's, you know, in a sense, that's part of our human condition to want to will something better for everybody for the future. But, of course, then when me see all the black and white photographs in the archive of men in top hats getting on board and women doing the the work of scraping the the animal skins to make the gas bags inside, Um, you realise that this is also a story of class and privilege. And for me, that coincided with um, the referendum and Brexit. So for me, this is also related to my... Uh, identity and relationship to Bedford, a small town in England, a small island, um, and its relationship to the rest of the world. The fact that the the programme was called the Imperial Aship Programme, and of course its destination when it crashed was Karachi, and this is prior to the partition of India, is a sort of of massive um, image of Britain's attempt to kind of establish itself as a, as a colonial player again after the part failure of the first world war um, and unfortunately we're still seeing many of those kind of colonial imperial uh, maneuvers play out in contemporary life right now with Afghanistan or Iraq. Things haven't changed much um, so for me, this is a very contemporary work this is this is not celebrating the history of the airship at all it's actually using it as a metaphor to discuss contemporary issues um the fact that the contemporary work sits alongside the historic project is really really interesting so that Lydia and myself work very closely with a guy called Dan Birchmore who was originally the shed manager at Cardington and he trained parachutists and he was an expert in dirigibles um, but in his later life he became a curator of the airship collection and then when that airship collection was sort of moved from the shed, he then established a collection of his own in his garden shed on retirement and he made that available to the public um, for a good five years with, with Gina, his partner. Now Dan unfortunately is no longer with us, um, having died fairly recently, um, But we did have good contact with him, and he was a sort of massive source of anecdote and uh, assured history, along with the Airship Heritage Trust, with Alistair, et cetera. So so the museum show, in a sense, is a kind of community-curated exhibition of uh, items and ephemera donated by community members, enthusiasts, people passionate about the airship programme, and Cardington, Um, and in itself, it started out as being an art project itself alongside the new media installation. But because of we having to do this under a pandemic, um, it became more virtual and Lydia um, and her team at BCA had to, at uh, the Higgins, sorry, had to really kind of drive that forward um, under fairly difficult circumstances.
0: In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany, Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Well, I was going to kind of ask about the pandemic, I guess sort of keen mathematicians um, who, who are listening will, will twig that 1930 to, uh, to 2021 is, is 91 mm. years. And so, yeah, yeah you, you you've had a, another, yeah. a bit of a bit of a kick on um, yeah. there. Ha, what, what's the challenge? Because I know from my research, getting into archives recently has been very, very difficult. And, and how has that how has that kicked you back? Well, obviously, the event itself was
4: postponed for twelve months. It was intended to take place in two thousand and twenty for the ninetieth centenary. You're correct. Um, then the, the the process of making the work with um, five collaborators, virtually, you know. So just to give you a you know quick heads up on what Escape and Gravity looks like, it's a massive projection with a spatialized audio environment. Um, so. So my background was being more influenced by stuff like craftwork or, or Massive Attack um, or U2 in terms of their skill at producing audiovisual shows. So I'm very much into new media and cinematic projection. So, so this is really kind of cutting edge new media. Um, but I guess the, the process that we had to make it was working in a games engine called Unreal which Fortnite's built in, Um, and it meant that a team of new media collaborators, some of which had never met, were working just like this in little Zoom boxes um, between Leeds, Liverpool, Doncaster and London. Um, And, um, you know, at the beginning of that process, it was extremely challenging, you know, not just because of trying to make a piece together virtually, but we were all suffering as many people were in society with death, fear, um, and and unknowing really. Um, and I think that also did influence the work itself. There are direct references within the the script and the text to being in this pandemic state. Um, and there's quite a lot, you know, like really the work is quite poetic. um, like it uses words and it uses images and it uses um, com- musical composition in a, and it's all kind of woven together. Um, likewise, the, the carpets that Lydia described, we took that as a, um, as a cue and there are carpets that you can sit on to watch the work as well as deck chairs. The deck chairs are sort of sourced from images from the flight deck of the i 101 and the, the carpets, again, they've got Maps cut out of them of um, of a map of the world with kind of some sort of routes and cities marked out there as to, to the ambition for the imperial airship program dominating the globe. Um, so so it's got sculptural elements as well. It's it's not just purely a, a, an image projection and audio.
3: I found it really fascinating actually, and I, I I love the way you combine the past and the present. Um, and visually stunning as well. And I'd recommend anybody to come to Bedford and, and watch this um, installation and, and visit um, the project. Um, but could you possibly tell us a bit more about how you um, you got the members of the public involved in in the uh, the actual um, exhibition? And um, there's a number of artifacts in there. I particularly like the Donald and Reginald Clark. Uh, image of the two young boys in their Sunday best, um, who were taken down by their dad to look at the R101. Um, there's there's a lot of art- artifacts in there um, and, and really interesting things. Um, how how did you collect collect all these together?
4: I'll, I'll pass this on to Lydia in a second. But like when I see those images, of the little boy in short trousers, you know that that could have been me as well. Um, and, and I just again, want to sort of emphasise that thing that this was. Like, you know, so I can remember my sister being asked whether she wanted to come and see the Goodyear Blimp, and she said no. So that yeah. there is a si- significant issue around gender that needs drawing out of this story. Um, and so dads and lads love technology. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a way of also educating adults through children, of course. Um, that I think, you know, the... Access to the Airship Heritage Trust, initially through Den and then through Alistair, was really significant. But they've been a sort of superb collaborator to work with. Um, without them, we wouldn't really have been able to do it. We also ran a week's workshop at the library, Bedford Library, um, which we're sort of mucking about with AR and VR and video and stuff. Um, so, so, you know, it's been a, a sort of slow process. Um, But I'd I'd like Lydia, really, because Lydia had to lead this in terms of the delivery and the museum show.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy
3: button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
1: I think, yeah, I mean, initially with the pandemic, it was quite difficult. So we put a call out um, online and through social media and the website and through Web Creative Arts, um Creative Arts. Um, and we started with an idea around unboxing, um, which had sort of come uh, from thinking about uh, sort of objects that people might have at home in their in their attics or their 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 own sheds, um, and asking people to share their stories digitally. So we did a few Zoom interviews with um, different people that came forward, which was really lovely. And um, partially partially from the inspiration through uh, Den being interviewed by Mike actually, and and wanting to kind of you know um, encourage people through Den's passion for airships uh, and see what what people had at home. And then there was a few people where we had stories that had come forward. It's um, uh, sort of over over the years that we've not had opportunity. To so we 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 had a lovely collection of different stories that have not been told. From actually, and Mike was talking about class and, and stories that haven't been told. So from the carpenters, for example, that had made the airships. So the R, um, you know, the R38 and the R101. There was a wonderful tool. Tool chest that is on display that we hadn't been able to display before and then that story that the couple George Cook and his wife they actually ran the Cardington Arms uh, so um, the King's Arms at Cardington I should say sorry Uh, and uh, so that was a wonderful piece of local history and also talking about the women because um, it's saying dads and lads but actually a lot of the women were the people that Mike mentioned that actually had made the airship Um, and one of the people that uh, we discovered uh, through the Airship Heritage Trust and was a photograph album that had been sent to Alistair Lawson, who's chair, um, and by a gentleman called Alan Slater. And that photograph um, album was really significant. Um, It was by a lady um, called Miss um, D.C. Forster, and she was um, one of the senior staff at Cardington. Uh, and she looked after the outer coverettes so they looked they were the people that made the outer cover for the r101 and there were pictures in this album that have never been seen and we also discovered that miss Crochranne Foster was actually the um, the girl in the deck chair so we, we have deck chairs in the artwork and we discovered uh, there was uh, some press images of uh, women in a deck chair with um, who we discovered um, Sergeant Johnson behind her uh, one of the officers and um, we it was wonderful to see those pictures and there's also a picture of a sports day of the women taking part which actually obviously the Higgins is based at the Higgins Brewery in Bedford and there's a, a wonderful advertising banner behind them saying that that was the beer tent <laughs> at the sports day so there was lovely lovely things like that and also um a wonderful woman called uh, Hilda Lyon who was actually one of the designers for the R101 who hadn't had much attention in the past um or um and so um we feature her quite prominently within those stories um we feature some people that have survived the r101 crash um such um uh yeah uh, and we also um, featured some people who unfortunately passed away, like Arthur Burton, um, and some people that were involved in airship flight. We had a wonderful gold watch come in from Harold, um, uh, for, it's connected with Harold Rowe, who had helped to get the R33, which had broken away from its mast, back to it back from the North Sea and a handful of people in 1925 were given these gold watches uh, in honour of their bravery for getting the retrieving the R33 (laughs) when it had been blown blown away in a storm from its mast so yeah there's some wonderful stories that had come out and uh, yeah really grateful to all the community curators that shared the stories and put those into words for us to share with our public so I'm I'm just
2: going to sort of take you back a second just to kind of the survivor. Um, accounts, because this to me is just the most terrifying thing in the entire world. I mean, I'm I'm uh, terribly scared of heights and flying anyway, just as a as, which is quite ironic as a very tall man. But um, what what do we get? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just zoom; it doesn't quite work. Now it's now also, to the uh, top half of your body. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. Promise, I'm very tall. Um, what, what do we get from these accounts? Because this wasn't even the first big airship crash either. Was there, wasn't there one a few years earlier? Was it the R-38 I'm thinking of? Which,
4: yeah. which the R-38 about a year earlier. Yeah. Which has recently been commemorated where it crashed into the River Hole, having been sort of stationed at Howden. But that one exploded in the sky in front of a large audience. But again, wasn't recorded on film. Goodness. and I think it was
1: you're right there were people that survived those crashes um such as um there was um uh, uh, Sky Hunt uh, as he was known um and uh, Wally Potter um which is one of my favorite stories actually um, um tragic stories of the R101 crash and uh, they were actually in the control car at the time of the crash so they were in charge um part, yeah driving that ship <laughs> um uh, you know and um uh, actually um, Sky Hunt had survived the R-38 and Wally Potter, they'd both survived the R-38 crash so they were back on board another airship not scared <laughs> uh, And but really sadly both lost their lives, now amazingly Sky Hunt got out of the R-101 crash oh. and the last thing he was heard saying was I'm going back for Wally and he, we never saw him again after that so he went back in to try and save his mate and sadly lost his life too so I, that is true bravery <laughs> um and so the six people that did survive i think do i mean genuinely only they can really know what that was genuinely like they so, um it was interesting joe binks he survived the crash his son derek still lives locally and was interviewed very kindly for um uh, the the project and, um, his dad continued to work at Cardington, uh, on those hydrogen plant with the, with the various balloons that were going up his whole life. He went back and lived in Shortstown his whole life with Mr. Bell, um, another engineer, he survived alongside. And they met up every year at the King's Arms and raised a pint to all the people and friends they'd lost on the R-101 crash. So they were, yeah, true heroes, really. Uh, and their vision and determination just, um, you know, they, they really did believe that the airships were wonderful, even, even after... Seeing them crash and experiencing that, so you
4: might like to add as well that that of course um, part, you know but i you know I've, I've, I've read various accounts of what actually is supposed to have happened from different perspectives. Um, there's a kind of strong sense that the experts, the scientists, the engineers weren't really listened to in terms of the speed of which the air trials took place. So in a sense, the kind of political ambition for the craft to be extended in length to give it a kind of uh, better to take a bigger payload, carry more gifts. Um, and then having made the structural change, the, uh, the suggestion was it needed a, a, a longer air trial period, but that was rushed. Um, and uh, for, me, for me, that's an important, important part of the story, really.
2: Yeah, I mean, from, from my kind of limited understanding of it, it's not, it's not quite like the Hindenburg where you just see it all go up in flames all of a sudden, is it? It's, it's definitely a crash uh, that you see where it almost, almost like noses down. Uh, actually i think
1: mr bell described it as more of a crunch (laughs) um so it was actually didn't hit it actually that fast um and um it just been been losing height and it was it was you know very dark but also not very good weather it uh, there was a lot of rain um and so yeah i mean they they talk about it actually not not hitting the hillside very the the reason why it caused such devastation was because the engines were underneath as you can you know on the airship and were forced up into the body and unfortunately so some of the survivors were actually in the um smoking room because it was lead lined (laughs) so it protected them from the fire um so and the others as i say had water ballast fall on them so they were wet so that helped um but yeah there was it was incredible um but yeah so it, it it's interesting there, there are lots of theories and I'm not sure we'll ever really know what caused that to crash um yeah,
2: yeah. all right well let's move let's move things on then because you mentioned because I'm, I'm thinking about you know 1920s and 30s aviation and people like Amy Johnson come to mind really so actually kind of it's not not just men um, and you mentioned Hilda Lyon um, who was a big deal back then in the world of kind of aerodynamics, and wasn't she? let's 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 talk about her for a second. What what made her so special?
1: Um she's. Really interesting. I think not many people know about her. She was born actually up in Market at Wheaton, um, not far from from Howden in New Yorkshire and, and um, Beverly. Um, and then she was trained and graduated from Cambridge in 1918 and went on to be a member at the uh, Royal Aeronautical Society in 1922. So she'd already had a real, you know, kind of great accolades sort of, um, and, and training. Um, she then joined the Royal Airship Works in 1922. 19- and started doing quite a lot of research around transverse frames and the shape of airships. So she was the person behind the lion shape, which is kind of this teardrop type shape that, that influenced these range of um, uh, airships. So that was really significant. Um, you know, as in design terms, it was incredible. And so she was the first woman to receive the uh, memorial prize. Um, Uh, For the R38, there was a memorial prize set up, I think after the after the crash and things um and so she was the first woman to receive that but she went on um she actually wasn't on board during the crash so she survived afterwards um which was probably as well um but she went on to um actually study in america um at the massachusetts um uh and um she she got various scholarships um and uh, also it got in, um in germany got in in Germany. And I think she um, only came back because her mother was taken ill. So she, in 1937, she comes back and then she's able to continue to work from home effectively, which was very forward-thinking given the the, the situation we find ourselves in now. Um, And um, Actually then, uh, she does quite a lot of uh, academic research over that time and uh, then joins the Royal Aircraft Establishment at Farnborough and continues until 1946 when she has an operation, unfortunately, um, passes away. So um, She is an amazing role model for young women and if we're thinking there were only male engineers around, um, she was definitely one of the exceptions and a brilliant engineer and designer so yeah
2: what, what was she working on after the airships because surely after r101 it, you know i think a number of the principles that she um
4: discovered or or kind of instated were then translated into uh, nautical engineering
1: okay and yeah, also, so, there was some yeah. airplanes as well. So during the during the war, during the Second World War, she worked on stability analysis of the hurricanes rudder. That was her principal area of research. So yeah, she was very highly regarded. <laughs> um, yeah. Good.
3: What an amazing woman.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> so um, so with all this amazing content for the ninetieth anniversary, um, how is Bedfordians going to? see this have you had a lot of interest in it um because having come from london and moved here i, I really really tapped into the rich history of this town um, and it needs to be told so let's bring people to your exhibition
4: okay well um obviously launching a show during the pandemic's tricky this is the first time that bedford has shown a contemporary artwork of this kind Ever, um, so it's a first for the Higgins Museum to, 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 to work at this scale, actually, or work with, a, with an ambitious technological media work. Um, um, I have got a little clip here running. If you want to, I don't know if you've watched any of the Instagram stuff,
3: Andy. Well, we're just no? doing audio on here at the moment, but we can certainly put some links up on um, our. Um, history hack channels for
4: you okay let's let's do that but um so basically there are okay so there are sort of media assets that you could you could show around a bit and you could help share it that would be useful um in terms of the show itself like the But there were plans and intentions to do a, a, a quite an ambitious Sona Lumiere event as well this autumn. Um, we still want to do that. But at the moment, we've, we've basically run out of funding because of the delay through the pandemic. But um, the, the Castle Mound outside the Higgins makes an incredible site for... Like at one stage, we were going to rent a blimp. We were going to use lasers and video projection into the sky. Um, there were going to be various... The community members have taken place, you know, quite quite a few sort of young people's workshops aligned with this exhibition. Um, and they were going to do kind of work leading to this sort, of, this sort of big public extravaganza. That's all postponed at least. I'm still hoping it takes place next year. Um, the exhibition is on until the end of November. Um, it's free, which is incredible. Um, it's 40 minutes from London on the train. Bedford is extremely accessible. Um, and, it, the, you know, so a regular train service. Um, and it, we're hoping it'll sort of put Bedford on the map as being a place where kind of, you know, really exciting contemporary art can take place.
1: And I think also just to let people know, we are planning some workshops. So if you're interested, um, we were planning some workshops for Bedford Fun Palaces. Uh, which is a national initiative, actually, the Fun Palaces Weekend on the 2nd and 3rd, which is just coming up to the um, the 91st anniversary um, of the airship flying. And so we're hoping to do some sound workshops um, with uh, Roger Rillingworth, who took part uh, in producing the sound um, for the artwork, uh, and also um, Anne-Marie Abbott, who did an awful lot of work with um, Shortstown School, which was wonderful to work with them, and Bedford College, who also produced some fantastic, Posters that were um, both inspired, sort of past, fu- uh, past, 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 present, and future, uh, that are on display at the Higgins as well. So there's quite a lot of community collaboration there as well. So if you want to have a go at making your own model ship, uh, Anne Marie is going to be doing that. So there'll be some time slots to book in on the, uh, the Higgins website coming up soon uh, on the second uh, for the second second of October. Uh, and then um, we're also um, we've had some brilliant feedback actually. Um, in the gallery so I do encourage people to come and see the contemporary artwork because um, lots of different people are experiencing it and um, from young five-year-olds dancing in the gallery and having a whale of a time to older people really being amazed and inspired by it, um, and I think also really appreciating the community stories that have been shared that they just didn't know anything about, um, you know, sort of some of the the men and women that have you know made the airships and um, you know uh, how we thinking about how we commemorate in the future as well. We'd love this to be a, kind of a stepping off point to building up to the hundredth anniversary uh, in twenty thirty. And as Mike said, you know, it'd be wonderful to do a big event and to gather more in the community so yeah that's kind of where we're headed with it really
2: I suppose it's nice isn't it because you've got things like the Sonne Lumiere idea to kind of bring out you know, you're keeping your powder dry almost for the for the 90th and, and and then you get to unleash something massive for the 100th which would be awesome and in the meantime dancing with five-year-olds and kind of having <laughs> exactly. you know, or old people whoever yeah that will <laughs> work too I suppose like to sum up I think the R101 for me Yeah, you're right, Mike, and when you say there's this element of cubris um, to it, but it's also just, it feels to me like a missed opportunity because you've clearly got tremendously talented individuals um, working on this and there was the potential. I mean, in terms of the concept, the idea of being able to move large distances relatively quickly, certainly compared to ships uh, at the time. Um, Can I read a little bit to you? By all means, do. Go. A short paragraph. Okay, here you go. So
4: these are some of the lines that feature within part of the soundtrack, um, as written by myself. Um, I am your compass. I sense the weight of your body. The body and land I will conquest. Your fantasy factory. I need less ballast. I watch your magic. Your transformation. Fabric rope, gas. In this void, I dreamt, leapt and hoped you fill this void. Ideas, matter, future, the weight of a rug, the weight of biscuits, a map of the world. Yeah,
2: I think you've got, you've got this really nice blend of, of, of art and technology and, and, and culture, which uh, just sounds great. Uh, And it's, it's tough not to feel kind of excited, but also kind of sad about the R101. And, and it sounds like this, this exhibition exhibition is, is, is is hitting that. Um, So yeah, reasons to be cheerful in Bedford. This is one absolutely go and see it Um, guys. Is there anything else that you'd like to say now in a quick one-liner to, to get people along to it? Well, there may
4: be a forum on the 23rd of September. Um, it's, it's scheduled, but I'm literally in a text conversation right now with BCA about whether we can get enough speakers on the day. Um, so if we can confirm that with you via email. Um, as Lydia says that there are going to be workshops, we're going to tr- also, because it's built in on um, we can play it live using a games controller. So we might be doing, as, as one of the labs, we might be doing a, a, a live show of it, which will also be a kind of workshop and lab for people who are games players. Like, young kids love it um, because it looks much, you know, it looks more like a, game, a computer game than it does um, something about history. That's part of its trick. Um, yeah, and it will, whether you hate it or love it, it will definitely have an impact on you. Chris certainly doesn't hate it, do you, Chris?
3: I loved it, yeah. I've seen it twice, and um, I found it really, really um, inspirational, amazing, and very touching, um, totally. So, so, Lydia... Could I, I just...
1: I'd like to say... Um, What's been wonderful, uh, and 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 is is quite sad, but you know, I would like to thank Den Den Birchmore, Jean Birchmore, and uh, also um, uh, Den's granddaughter Emily, who took part in the filming of the artwork uh, and and his whole family to thank them and also to um make the airship dreams escaping gravity in, in memory of Dan because um he was a wonderful man he was very passionate about airships and i hope he certainly inspired me to be more passionate about airships and i hope um he will continue to do that for the community even and though finally uh, we lost i've him.
4: got to thank my collaborators roland denning roger illingworth dave lynch rob strachan and Sam Weill, who were the, the co-producers of Escape and Gravity with myself. And, of course, the Arts Council, who put up most of the funding with the um, Heritage, the National Heritage Trust, and um, Bradford Creative Arts, who produced it.
3: Excellent. Thank you. So, Lydia, can you please um, give us the website address and any social media that you have so our listeners can research this and look, into it further and please visit bedford
1: sure so you can find information at airshipdreams.com and you can also find it at www.thehigginsbedford.org.uk as well those two places
2: thank you very much well thank you very much mike and lydia that has been great it's been really really lovely hearing about something that is Just different, you know, we've done loads of boaty stuff, we've done loads of fighty stuff, but actually kind of this is a a bit of a sadness tinge, but also really, really interesting piece of history. Uh, And it's been a pleasure having you on. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much.
3: When our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them, and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support and here's to your next great book.